Hello and welcome back to India on 99.94, your home of India content. I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of this podcast and my co-host alongside me, Sara Waris of Wisdom. Sara, a very special episode, this one, where we've dedicated the entire slot to Julan Goswami and why not? She deserves not just this slot, probably several slots just to talk about how great she is, how great she was in her entire career and, and what a career it has been for India's premier fast bowler in women's cricket and arguably the greatest fast bowler that the women's game has ever seen. And, and Sarah, just before we kick off, obviously she played her last match in that victory at Lord's uh, clean sweep of the series that India produced there, 3-0, their first ODI series win in England since 1999, before she even made her debut back in 2002. And uh, I was tuned in quite early to watch uh, all all the sort of, you know, the guard of honour and, and all the interviews that Julian was giving before the match. She she even did the toss interview, uh, bizarrely, in place of uh, Preet Court, just because it was her last game and everything was about... Her and her retirement, um, you didn't get to see that over in India, did you? Once again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't get to see any of that. We Obviously, the toss wasn't shown. Uh, we were being shown a pre-recorded show about Jul. Thankfully, it was about Julan Goswami, but yeah, pre-recorded show. Uh, the post, uh, the guard of honor, the uh, when the Indian team, like, after the innings break, when the Indian team gave her a guard of honor, running guard of honor, that wasn't shown. We just had to, you know, look out for clips from people in UK who were very kind to share it. Many people were sharing it on Twitter. That's all we saw. And obviously, there was a lot of uh, tags directed to Sony that how could you do this? It's a legend. A legend is retiring. Uh, but uh, finally, we saw... The post-match, like they were kind enough to give us the post-match after a lot of putting pressure on them and everything. Uh, so that lap of honor around the stadium, we got to see that. It's a small victory, just shows, you know, the pressure that fans put on a network. They are, uh, they are likely to bow down. Uh, after a point and also shows that, you know, yeah, Julan is a legend and everyone wanted to see her uh, go out on a high. Yeah, of course they did. And, you know, hopefully this is a sign of things to come from Sony in the future because it doesn't matter if it was Julan's last match or not or it was just a bog-standard bilateral game. It could have been a dead rubber. There could have been nothing riding on it. It could have been... At Grace Road in Leicester rather than at Lords, you still should show the toss, uh, the yeah. interviews, all the build-up and the post-match as well. It's just common sense. It's international cricket. Why wouldn't you do that? So hopefully a sign of things to come. But you're right. Everybody wanted to see Julanga Swami's last game. It, it was quite fitting that it was at Lords as well. And, um, you know, the first time that India have been back, first time England's women have been back actually, since that World Cup final in 2017, which, you know, great scenes, of course, with the full house. Um, the, the only disappointment, I suppose, from that World Cup final was the MCC benches were practically em empty and, and all the, you know, the stuffy old members couldn't be bothered to show up for a, for a women's game or, or pass their tickets on to those that might be 
interested. Um, but it was it was good to see for Julian's last match. Even the the MCC benches were a little mm. bit more filled. Uh, the stadium was filled. Lots of great Indian support as well, and and a, and a well earned victory. One, yeah, just one before like we move forward. Uh, uh, there was this anecdote. Julian Goswami, I think, uh, very early on in her career, she had plucked out a blade of grass from the Lord Stadium and she's like, I'll keep this with me in case I never return uh, to Lords and play a game at Lords again. And, you know, so befitting that she played uh, her final match at the same venue. So, yeah, good things happen to legends and she is one legend. Yeah, and, you know, just before we sort of go back to the early days of her career as well, just something that really got to me was I, I know you didn't see it and, you know, see it live. Certainly you may have seen clips afterwards, but her interview at the toss and just being asked about Indian cricket, the where it was when she started the women's game, where it is now and, you know, the sort of mental role that she plays to to all the younger players and, and talking about the emotions and even seeing the the sort of huddle before the match where Harman Preet Kaur gave her a big hug and, and she was visibly in tears I mean, if if you're a fan of Indian cricket and you weren't moved by that, I mean, I, I'm welling up just just thinking about it now. It yeah. was it was similar scenes to when Sachin was playing his final Test match at the Wankhede Stadium in 2013. You know, same sort of feeling uh, for me certainly, and it just shows how how important a figure she has been for so many years, for two decades in Indian women's cricket. And that journey, of course, started back in 2002. In England as well, the the young, sort of tall, quick bowler as she was then. I mean, in her early days, in her pomp, Julian Goswami was bowling upwards of, of 130 kilometers per hour, which you know is a lot of men. That that's their stock speed. You know, 130 odd miles an hour. You know, you, you see the the Jimmy Andersons of this world, and I know he was a little bit quicker when he started, but you know the Stuart Broads and. And all these successful bowlers in the international game. And Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, you know, he's not express pace, is he? He's 130. So Julian Goswami was bowling that kind of speed in her pomp as well. And for the women's game, that really was quite something. And and she really burst onto the scene, didn't she, in 2002? They played a test series in England. And it was a test series, which was really, really interesting because it was more than just a one-off test match. She only played 12 tests in her entire career. Two of them were in that series in 2002. India won the series. She got a player of the match in the second match of the series and only a second match in international cricket. I mean, what a start it was. And, and you know, we talk about players bursting onto the scene. She certainly burst onto the scene then, didn't she? Yeah, and... Uh, she, Mithali, we never, like, she was around for a longer time, uh, a few years before that. And with Julan, you know, like, no one would have expected what was to follow. And yeah, what a career it then went on to be. Uh, she was a great in ODIs, but test matches also, she took 44 wickets at 17.36, which is, you know, uh, she played, not all matches were abroad. She played in India also. Uh, she picked up three five fours, one ten wicket haul. Uh, uh, one match, sorry, um, um, match figures of 10, uh, 10 wickets. Uh, again, you know, if she had played more test matches, she would have gone on to become a great in this format also. She is a 
create across formats but you know uh, again begs the question that why we need more women's cricket and uh, women's test matches uh, and it's unfortunate that you know the icc despite all that they've not uh, increased the number of women's test matches and that uh, julan goswami only played 12 test matches Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's shocking, isn't it? Twelve yeah. test matches. I mean, what what a great record, as you mentioned there. And that ten for that ten for seventy eight in the match, two fifers. That was in her second yeah. ever test match in that two thousand and two tour where she got player of the match in that. And also in in the first match, she actually produced with a bat as well. And you know, we've seen her over the years produce these good innings down the order. She's more than just you know a hitter we we've seen her hit some big shots and and she can be you know bring that sort of power game uh, when needed but she can also stick around and bat properly and and in those early days she was more than just uh, a big quick bowler she was almost a, an all-rounder really i mean she partnered mithali raj when mithali made that record breaking 214 in that first test in 2002 and they put on a partnership of 157 julan chipped in with 62 Um so she was more than just this big quick bowler she she was a, a genuine all-rounder in those days and you know more than capable with the bat and and we have seen some great moments with her with bat in hand haven't we Yeah and uh, you know before we go forward i would also like to shed some light on her career like how she took up cricket because i think um that is also interesting for people like who don't really know her background as such like so she, her first experience watching cricket at the stadium was in 1997 uh, the women's world cup was held uh, at eden gardens and she went on to see that match and belinda clark scored um, like she scored runs in that game and you know julan goswami was the ball girl in that match and so you know she just uh, she started following men's cricket earlier but you know women's cricket and recognizing okay such a thing existed first time it happened in 1995 and she uh went back told her parents obviously her parents weren't really encouraging of her in later interviews she said that her mother wanted her to get married soon and you know just start her own family which is what uh most indian societies like they have that mentality you know just women uh, girls reach the certain age and just get them married uh julan goswami was from chakda which is 62 kilometers away from kolkata which had the greater facilities so she had to travel 67 kilometers every day from chakda to kolkata via auto changing two trains local trains and then reach uh, the club she played in the baliganj club and you know then her coach she, he she uh, he encouraged her to take up fast bowling convinced her parents uh, etc parents were not really convinced by then all uh, then also because women's cricket there wasn't really a future back then even people today are hesitant to push their girls into women's cricket so you know back then you can imagine in the 90s um But yeah, she said later her mother had sacrificed a lot, and she didn't want children to sacrifice as much. Also, so they later they gave in, and yeah, that's how her career started. And 
या कुडोस टू देम ऑल्सो टू हर पेरेंट्स ऑल्सो बिकॉज यू नो वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट झूलन गोस्वामी वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट हर अचीवमेंट्स बट इट्स ऑल्सो यू नो हर पेरेंट्स एंड हर बैकग्राउंड स्टाफ हु हेल्प यू नो गिव अस द लेजेंड विच ही इज एंड या शी जस्ट वेंट ऑन टू अचीव द ग्रेटेस्ट थिंग्स इन क्रिकेट Absolutely, and very, very sort of similar parallels, really, with uh, Mitali Raj and and the way she started a few years earlier as well, with those struggles with the family and wanting her to get married, and and lots of lots of Indian female cricketers of that era as well. And you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm going off track a little bit here, but in the Mitali Raj film, her best friend. who who was the one who got her into cricket who was the better cricketer who was always bowling at mitali when they used to go and play she was lost to the world of cricket because yeah. her parents got her married off and she moved country and that was that really and and just imagine how many female cricketers have been lost to that sort of thing and and how much talent that that has gone to waste really in india because of of those traditions of wanting to get your daughters married off and and not getting them involved in sports you know thankfully that is changing there's still a long way to go of course with attitudes and and all that but you know it, things hopefully are moving in the right direction and you know Julian Goswami's career will hopefully in, inspire many more girls to take up the sport and hopefully all the press and all the coverage that she's had in recent times building up to that final match at lords and and you know hopefully she'll come out and do some speaking afterwards and and you know who who knows she might take on a mentor role in the IPL the women's IPL next year or something like that maybe a coaching role and and she'll hopefully be involved in the game and and be spreading that message still about uh, females you know taking up sport and and it being a positive thing before we carry on we're just going to take a, a short break here and uh, on the back of that we'll continue with uh, the timeline through Julian's career You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994dm by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast we speak cricket right so sara 2002 was her debut um she's obviously had some some wonderful moments we we can't go through every single series and and every single wicket she's taken or anything like that but uh, you know again in 2006 part of uh, another victorious test team in india as well Um we talk about the first ODI series win in England since 1999. They've been pretty successful in test cricket over the years India when coming to England and and it's such a shame they only play one-off tests these days and you know they played the two in 2002 but since then it's just been one-offs. Uh but they won the test match in 2006 and again contributing with both bat and ball. Uh she took uh it was actually sorry that was the it was the 2006 series where she took that tenfer uh, in the second the, there were two tests in 2006 my apologies not in 2002 it was a one off then in 2006 was when she hit a half century in the first test and then she took that tenfer 78 in that second test match um just just fantastic and and 
you know, again, it just harps back to that question of 12 test matches in an entire career. She's won three, you know, she's won two test series in England. She's played three over her test series in England as well. I know she's played the odd test match at home as well, but, you know, it tends to be just against the Englands and the Australias that she's played. It's just a a problem really in, in women's cricket. It doesn't help when the ICC is now suggesting that test cricket is not the priority for women. Uh, but, you know, let's continue anyway. We won't go off track too much. And then 2014, we'll, we'll come back to a few moments in between those two. But 2014, she comes back. She wins another test series in a one-off test against England as well. And, and by then, of course, she's the veteran of the side. And people were sort of looking at her back then, weren't they, in 2014, thinking, is that her last tour of England? But just the fact that she's gone on and on and on, it is almost like... When Sachin and Dravid and these guys in the men's team were, were touring places like England and Australia and, and for the last three tours of their career, really, people were saying, oh, this could be the last time we see Sachin on, on English soil or Dravid on English soil. And they went on quite late as well, Sachin till he was 40, Dravid till he was 39, and Julan till she's 39 as well and, and went on and on for eight more years after that 2014 tour. Could, could you believe it back then that somebody like her, a big fast bowler as well, we're not talking about a batter here, a fast bowler running in, could she sustain that kind of effort and and fitness to last another eight years? Yeah, and you know, uh, you spoke about Sachin and Dravid, but what's different then, uh, what's different with them is that, you know, the overall attitude towards men's cricket by the BCCI has always been, um, you know, very different where they had a steady pace structure uh, and everything. With Julan, uh, we also, you know, you know uh, like while looking at her career, we need to keep in mind that she played most of her years at a time when there was no central contract by the BCCI, you know, so there was always that uncertainty over the next payment um, and uh, everything. So I just had a word with Snehal Pradhan. She used to play for India uh, back then. And I just asked her, you know, what was the overall fee structure like? The uh, BCCI was the last board to introduce uh, central contracts for women, women cricketers in 2015. So, uh, Mithali and Julan, both of them played majority of their careers without uh, having um, a certain amount coming in every year. So what Snehal Pradhan said is that they had per tour payments. So fixed fixed fee irrespective of how many matches on tour and whether the player was in the playing 11 or not. Uh, Which, you know, yeah, again, it's just... uh, Bizarre that if you're not selected in the squad, you won't get paid. Obviously, by then, Julian Goswami had cemented her place in the team. Uh, but there was always this uh, uncertainty that if uh, she gets injured, what if she gets injured, then there won't be any source of income coming in or there won't be any payment coming in. So, you know, despite handling all that uh, uncertainty and that off-field um, you know, that drama, so to say, she still went on and uh, did what she did, played for 20 years, is just an unbelievable feat. Uh, Sachin, Dravid, they didn't really, you know, have to worry about where the next uh, check is coming from because, yeah, that, that's not something the men's well, even, even if they were yeah. injured, even if yeah. they were injured, they had so much 
money coming in yeah. from the central contract anyway, plus all the additional stuff. E- even if, you know, God forbid, Dravid lost his form in the early 2000s and was dropped for a couple of years, he still had so much of the endorsement money that was coming in and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it, diff- completely different world, uh, men's cricket to women's cricket back then and, and still now as well, although it's good to see that in more recent years there there have been more endorsements coming forward for for the female cricketers and, you know, Mithali's been at the front of that, Smriti Mandana and, you know, Julan's done a little bit herself as well uh, towards the back end of her career and, and it's it's changing, um, but it needs to go a lot more and, and yeah, just that uncertainty, I suppose she... That that might have been an extra driver, really, for her, that I have to stay fit if I want to get paid because I'm good enough to be in the team and, and the squad if I'm fit. But, you know, as a fast bowler, it's it's quite easy to pick up these injuries. And like we say early on in her career, she was genuinely quick. She wasn't just a, a, a sort of medium pacer who put it on the spot. Um, but, you know, things, your body slows down with age and, and she became more of an accurate bowler later. But, you know, that also... Just that style of bowling, the fact that she had to adapt her game later on in her career for the last probably eight, nine years, really, since she moved into her 30s, to just being a a sort of almost like a Glenn McGrath type bowler towards the end of his career, where you just put it on that spot and you're just so difficult to score off. Maybe like a Kirtley Ambrose as well, who who sort of slowed in pace a little bit through uh, his latter years as well. Just put it on that spot. You just cannot score off these type of bowlers. They they just nip it around a little bit off the seam and and just get it in that corridor where you're uncertain, should I play, should I leave? You just don't know what to do. And it and it shows throughout her, her career stats. I mean, we talked about the test matches, didn't we? Economy rate of 2.02, but okay, some might argue it's a test match. You know, the scoring rates aren't that high. But even through 204 international ODI matches... 3.37 economy rate and and you know she's not played obviously in the early days you know 4.5 might have been a, a good rate through an entire innings in in women's ODI cricket it was like that in men's ODI cricket for for many years as well but to go an entire career 3.37 and playing till 2022 that is outstanding and then even in the T20Is 5.45 she you just cannot score off her impossible to to sort of take her to the cleaners and, and target her. And the, it was partly because of her skill, but also towards the end of her career, just the reputation, the aura that she had, you just don't attack her. You just show her respect. You defend when she comes on and you look to score off the others. And that in turn, not only got her wickets, but got wickets for her fellow bowlers who you know, the batters might think, right, we need to attack now. We've we've defended too much of Jula and we need to attack from the other end. They might take undue risks and, you know, it helped her teammates out as well. So, you know, just immense skill really to, to adapt her game. And that longevity is just outstanding. I mean, how big a miss do you think she'll be, not just for her wickets, but but to the other bowlers within the side? Because we, we briefly mentioned her sort of role as a mentor to the younger cricketers as well, but just as a teammate as well, you know, in, in terms of helping you get those wickets, bowling in partnerships like we talk about, how big a miss will she be for her teammates? Uh, you know, you spoke about uh, 
her fitness and everything so there is one very interesting stat that she has bowled in odi she has bowled 10005 deliveries uh, almost 1667 overs and the bowler who is second on the list is catherine brand who is 3158 deliveries behind which is you know 526 overs behind which is you know you just look at these numbers and you're like okay wow julan was the great you know if you still haven't believed it just this uh, one stat you know how she went on and on and uh, tackled everything and still continued going picking up uh, a couple of wickets in a final match is just uh, you know she was just so phenomenal and also yeah you spoke about how uh, her uh, absence will impact her teammates another very interesting stat which i found is uh, in odi she's taken 255 wickets yeah only bowler to take to take more than 200 wickets uh, in the history of the game but what's more interesting is that the next indian pace bowler on the list uh, has 87 wickets to her name which is uh, amita sharma so no other pace bowler from india has taken even 100 wickets and hidayat julan goswami has 200 wickets to her name so uh, more than 200 wickets to her name so you know just i think this stat is enough to prove what how much the indian team will miss her on the field obviously off the field she had her own uh, bond with the players and uh, even with the youngsters like she was constantly um, featuring in reels with them probably something which mithali raj didn't have that connect with the youngsters uh, like in uh, her retirement tribute post kind of uh, jimma rodrigues posted a uh, reels with julan goswami uh, julan goswami where she's dancing around and you know just blabbering nonsense so you know that that shows how uh, how respected she was and how you know genuinely the youngsters looked up to her so yeah it's going to be a huge miss on the field off the field and the emotions which mandana and uh, harmanpreet kaur especially showed before the match just shows what a big miss it's going to be absolutely we'll take another short break here on the back of that We'll look at the legacy that she'll leave behind. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994dm. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. So Julian Goswami then 355 international wickets, highest wicket-taking bowler of all time in women's cricket. Two World Cup finals though and no victories. That that's got to be I suppose the one regret that she has in her career, isn't it? Also maybe bowling that no ball against australia last year which you know india could have won the odi series but she bowled that okay controversial no ball but it was a no ball and i think she will have that slight regret also that you know uh, win in australia down under would have been 
immense and you know she bowled that no ball and eventually australia went on to win uh yeah she will have that regret also i think along with the world cup final losses but then you know what's coming forward the women's ipl is coming forward and now i i think she can sit back and be like okay my career you know my 20 year long career was worth it worth it in the end she won't reap the rewards for the, like she won't play in the women's ipl but i think her biggest you know she'll be happy that okay her rewards and her, what she did was worth it in the end but the thing that hurts me though is looking ahead to that women's ipl and both you know the the two greatest players that the women's team has ever produced mitali raj and Julian Goswami, arguably the greatest batter that women's cricket has produced in the world and, and the greatest bowler that women's cricket has ever produced, won't be involved in the first women's IPL as players. And that, to me, just it sums up the BCCI's lack of interest in women's cricket over the years. And it just hurts me as a cricket fan because... Okay, look, the, these things come around and there'll always be players. I mean, you might look at the IPL, the men's IPL and say, oh, if it was around when Viv Richards was playing and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's different with these two because it, it should have happened. It should have happened a few years ago. It should have happened probably after the 2017 World Cup final when interest peaked in women's cricket and they showed that they can compete on that world stage. And they would have had a few years. I mean, it would have been the, the last few years of their career. It would have been like, you know, Sachin and Sanat Jai Surya and Shane Warne playing in the men's IPL. And, you know, maybe not at their peak, but just a little reward at the end of their careers to say, well done. And, and it's particularly more important for the women's game as well, because, look, they haven't been paid properly for, for many years. There's, you know, the lack of interest, the lack of structure around it for so many years and, Finally, they're they're almost sort of on a par, not not quite on a par in terms of money and all that, but in terms of having their own franchise tournament, that, that that's a big step for the BCCI to take. And to have a women's IPL is a massive landmark moment. And to not have these two involved, it it hurts me, but you know, it's it is what it is, and hopefully they can be involved in some way, whether that be mentors, coaches, and it'd be scandalous not to have them involved in some way and, and any franchises I'm sure uh, will be in negotiations with uh, one or both of these two just to to get them on board in some capacity. In terms of the, the women's game then, we've talked about women's IPL coming up and, you know, 5th to the 23rd of March, we're hearing of the potential dates for the tournament in 2023. So that that's all good. But in terms of women's cricket, girls' cricket, in Julan's day, there was nothing. There was real lack of support. There was lack of encouragement. Has that landscape changed on a very grassroots level? So young girls now, say you've got an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old who, who, who love cricket, who want to play cricket, you know, they, not everyone's going to be, become a professional cricketer, but is there that club structure there now? Do you know, is, is it changing? Is it improving? I mean, attitudes will take a while mm -hmm. to to change across the whole of India, but in terms of the actual cricket 
itself and the clubs and, and the academies and stuff. Are, are there are there girls' academies? Are, are there opportunities for girls to take up the sport? Is that something that's happening in India right now? Yeah, there are girls' academies. And what's even more encouraging is, you know, another incentive for the uh, girls to go into um, cricket is that the IPL teams, a lot of IPL teams have academies for girls. Uh, Girls, uh, you know, uh, recently KKR had an academy where girls and young boys both were invited. It was a mixed academy. Uh, Rajasthan have a girls academy. Uh, uh, they've hosted a lot of uh, uh, domestic matches, school uh, level matches uh, in the past few years. So, uh you know, at least that having uh, IPL teams invest at the very grassroots and inviting more girls to come in, you know, because obviously if KKR are inviting young girls to come in, uh, even the parents are like, okay, you know, there is a potential prospect there, a potential um, career career there if, if, you know, KKR or Rajasthan is involved uh, versus if, a, if the Cricket Association of Bengal is involved because... You know that that there's more uncertainty if, um, yeah, you know what I mean. Like you know, yeah. if uh, yeah, it, at least uh, they know that okay, more people are coming in, and it's not just a, a token academy which is being held by the BCCI or the Cricket Association of Bengal. Uh, the payment structure has improve so to say you know so i say improve because senior players uh if they were in the 11 they would get just twelve thousand per match before a few years ago which has now increased to twenty thousand. not a lot obviously when you compare it to the men's uh, sport who get crores or lakhs per match uh, but, you know, at least that's changing. Uh, this year, the Cricket Association of Bengal, they, ha- uh, they had the Women's T20 League. Uh, and for the first time ever in India, you know, a women's draft was held. So, uh, you know, the- these are very small changes, but at least it shows that somewhere someone is a little keen to change things and... Uh, obviously, yeah, if we re- uh, we earlier spoke about how Sony, like, un- they came under the pressure and they showed the uh, post-match and uh, they took the feed from Sky. So I don't know why they couldn't have done it earlier, but but they took the feed from Sky. They showed the match. So, you know, just these small changes. And if the fans further put pressure on the broadcasters, on the board, then I think it's going to, you know... Uh, help women's cricket even further. And I think, yeah, that's what Julian Goswami's, like, I think she'll be pleased that, okay, after so long, she played most of her uh, 50, 70% of her career without any limelight. People didn't know when the matches were being held. But now at least, like, small steps, but at least she'll, you know, be glad that she played a small role in changing the face of women's cricket in the country and the world yeah Yeah. more than just a small role I I would say but she's she's a very humble character as we've seen and uh you know I don't know if Jalan Goswami will ever hear this but if she does thank you for for everything you've done for Indian cricket for women's cricket uh not just in India but but around the world as well and and to make your debut in England in 2002 
and then 20 years later to take your final bow at Lords Series Whitewash. You get carried on the shoulders of your teammates and you get to lift a, a trophy, a series winning trophy at the home of cricket as well. It's been a fabulous career. You go out as the highest wicket taker in, in women's cricket history as well. 355, just outstanding and uh, your legacy will be a lot more than and just what you left uh, on the field as well. Just a great ambassador for the Graham, a great, a great human being as well. And uh, you know, it's been a pleasure talking about Julan for the for the past uh, half an hour or so, a little bit longer than that. Uh, we could go on for hours and hours just talking about how great she was and on all her specific achievements as well. We we just don't have the time, unfortunately. Thank you very much for listening to us on this episode. We'll be back very soon. Remember, you can download the 99.94 app. That's the best way to follow us. Uh, you can follow us on social media, 9994DM. Uh, both of us are on social media as well. Uh, just find us on, on Twitter and uh, let us know uh, whatever it is you want to talk about. Remember to review and rate the podcast as well via your podcast uh, subs- uh, provider. Rather, do subscribe as well, uh, whether it be on your podcast feed or via YouTube. And uh, once again, thanks for listening. See you next time. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at hitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.